chapter. When I was in uh, West Papua recently with the youth team, you know, when you go on the mission field, you, you kind of got to be ready for anything. They have a tendency sometimes to come up with new and creative ways to get you to speak. And uh, I was asked to speak at an engagement. And uh, you know, in, in our culture, engagement's lots of food and people are having a nice time and presence. But it was a service and they wanted it to be uh, like a revival service. Uh, but there was a young couple that uh, at the, about the halfway point of the service, that transition between worship and the ministry of the word, um, had a little ceremony where they exchanged uh, engagement rings. I think both of them had an engagement ring. And um, I'm just going to move this oil because I'm going to knock it over. And, uh, and that was, it, was, it was a very nice night. It was a, a, a very beautiful little ceremony, and we prayed for that young couple. And, and they asked me to speak, and I was trying to get a little bit of a feel from the pastors, you know, what exactly is it you want me to do? speak for a few minutes. Oh, no, we want you to preach, but we want you to preach about engagement. And uh, I, I said, well, you know, exactly what did you have in mind? And basically, without being too direct tonight, the, the, the only real direction he gave me was that I was to try to find a way to instruct them to keep themselves until they were married, uh, which is a good thing to do if you're engaged. That, that's good advice. But uh, we felt the Lord gave me some direction that night and the, the Lord moved in a wonderful way in that service and um, just feel a similar direction this evening. So we're just going to see what the Lord will do tonight. But in, in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're also going to 1 John chapter 2, first epistle of John chapter 2, as the smells get stronger and begin to fill the atmosphere, I won't be preaching very long. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 13 and 14. Speaking of Jesus, it says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also. You see, what we believe and who we trust in is not a thing, it's a whom. It's a somebody. In whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Thank God for the Holy Ghost tonight. And verse 14 says, which is the earnest, or in modern vernacular, we would say it is the deposit. It is the down payment. It is a percentage of that which is yet to come. It is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. He has given us the Holy Ghost as a down payment, as something for us to hang on to until he comes back to finish the transaction, to finalize the deal, to take care of everything that he has. He's already made it possible. We're not any less saved now than we will be then, except that there will be a transformation. But there is a time frame, the Bible makes it clear, that while we wait for him, we keep ourselves and we look for him. Amen. And in First John chapter 2, sorry, First John chapter 1, I'm sorry. Sorry, chapter 2. They're on the same page. At least they are in my Bible. First John chapter 2 and 1 verse, verse 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily or truly is the love of God perfected. 
and hereby know we that we are in him. Father, we thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for the move of your spirit here as we've worshipped you, Lord. It is our privilege, Lord God, to come into this place. Lord God, it is a high honor for any of us, Lord God, to be able to enter into your presence, to feel your spirit move on us. And God, we believe that you desire, Lord, that before we go out of here, that you would speak to us, that you would impact us, that you would transform us. Lord, that you would have your way among us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. First of all, when I was just starting out in ministry, I had several friends that were also starting out. We were of similar age brackets, Brother Nightingale, who these young folk are going to minister for, was one of them. And we would often talk about, you know, if you were scheduled or rostered to preach soon, you, have you got a message yet? You know what you're going to preach. And as those of you that are involved in, in pulpit ministry understand, having that direction is one of the most important things. Knowing what the direction of the Lord is, is where it sort of starts. And uh, particularly when you're younger and not having a lot of experience, as days tick off the calendar and there doesn't seem to be any direction that's forthcoming, the nerves begin to intensify. You begin to get more and more nervous because it's Monday. Oh, I'm all right. I'm, it's not till Sunday night, but then it's Tuesday. And then it's Wednesday. And I said, Lord, what am I going to preach? And there are 66 books in this Bible, but sometimes when you're rostered to preach, there doesn't seem to be anything in the book. doesn't make sense, but that's how it is sometimes. And only preachers can understand that. But as young men, we, we had a bit of a standing joke among ourselves that, I oh, just preach on love. That was our standard thing. If, if you didn't have a message, just preach on love. Because we had, for some reason, we thought that that was just an easy topic to go to, which is actually false. But tonight, I want to preach about love. I want to preach about the love of God. I want to preach about the love that He has for us and what that love is for, what its purpose is. See, love is, love is possibly the most powerful human emotion that we can experience. There are, there's a lot of things that can be very strong in our emotions, but love... Love is very powerful. Love will cause people to do things above and beyond what is expected. Love, in its many forms, causes people to go the extra mile, to sacrifice again, to be willing to lay themselves down sometimes, even to give their own lives, because love is powerful. But love, love involves risk. When you love somebody, at least in an interhuman relationship, not when we talk about the Lord... There is no risk with God, but amongst people. Amongst people, because as we heard this morning, we're all flawed vessels. And when flawed vessels love one another, they still make mistakes. They still say the wrong thing. They still do the wrong thing sometimes. They, they still try to fix it up. And it's something you watch when young couples get married is the husband. It's always the husband. But the husband says the wrong thing. And you can tell instantly from the expression on his wife's face that he said the wrong thing. And then in the foolishness of a young married man, he tries to fix that problem and only makes it worse. And if you men recognize what I'm talking about, you ever been there? You know, that old expression, when you're in a hole, stop digging, springs to mind. But there are, there are times that we, we do say the wrong thing. And when, when you're going to love somebody, you take the risk of being hurt. Because love is not mathematical. It's not neat and, and easily to measure. But it's something that when you genuinely love, you, you risk yourself. 
You put your feelings out, you wear your heart on your sleeve and you hope that that person or persons that you are demonstrating love towards will not damage your heart. But it is a rare human being that goes through life without experiencing something of the, the heartache that comes with love that doesn't go, go right. Very few people marry the first person that they fall in love with. Some people do, most don't. And so many of us, particularly because the first person we fall in love with is at some ridiculously young age, and we think that we can't live without that person, and then six months later we don't even remember their name. But we, we know that emotional roller coaster, the risk of, of caring about somebody and then being hurt and, and having to take the time to heal and to mend. And, and really, but that's what love is. Love is willing to risk. Love is willing to, to be mistreated and to love again. And that's why, you know, good marriages, marriages that last, you know, you, you read the, the papers sometimes, particularly in some of your community papers, and there'll be a couple that are celebrating 50 years of marriage or 60 years of marriage, or you're getting up into the higher altitudes where there's not a lot of people that have got that kind of mileage on the clock. But they're not perfect people. They've not... It's not that they've never offended one another or that they've never had a disagreement or that they haven't gone to bed when the tension in the room is so thick that you could cut it with a knife. That's not the reality. But the reality is that because of love, they overcome. They're able to talk. And sometimes that talking is enthusiastic and, and, and demonstrative. But eventually you overcome because of love. And really, in that process, as much as none of us like to hurt or to be hurt, sometimes it's through the hurt that love becomes stronger. And it's, it's often, it's in the, when a couple will, will resolve a problem, they'll make up that there is, a, there is a, the bond feels renewed. And really, that's how it ought to be. If you're married, that's how it ought to be. And uh, there's, there's a lot of things we learn along the way. But the thing is, as you, as you, you grow together, you learn together. And you have to be willing to forgive. You have to be willing to be restored. And, uh, but tonight, I, I want to particularly, there's, there's one particular part of love that, that the Lord keeps bringing me back to this week. And that is the area of unrequited love. Unrequited is a word that we don't use a whole lot today. But unrequited love means love that is not returned. When somebody falls in love, perhaps, and the object of their love doesn't even know they exist. That, 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 some of you are laughing, but if you're in that situation right now, you wouldn't be laughing. You'd be reaching for your hanky. But when, when, when somebody loves somebody and yet that person doesn't feel the same way about them, when they don't feel that same depth of emotion, and they, oh, well, you're a nice person. I think the young people today talk about being friend zoned. You know, somebody loves somebody else, but no, we just want to be friends. You've been friend-zoned. And that's, that's unrequited love. Because when you fall in love with somebody, you don't want to be friend-zoned. That's not where you want to be. But because your love has been extended, it's been risked. You've, you've rolled the dice, as it were, with your emotions, and it has not been reciprocated. And that's not a very pleasant feeling. And if you've ever been, it can, it can happen. It's not always in a romantic situation. Unrequited love happens in families between generations. Sometimes when 
when young people in the foolishness and the, the impulsiveness of youth go out and do very crazy things and break the hearts of their parents and their parents just want them to do the right thing and they want to love them and help them. But in our youth, in that wonderful period where we know everything about everything, we don't listen. And that love that our parents are trying to give to us is not returned. And then sometimes tragically later in life when children become adults and even then they can have a falling out between generations and, and, and there's love that is broken. When my grandmother passed away some 10 to 15 years ago, my mother's mother, she had a great grandson who was 10 years old that she'd never spoken to and never even met even though he lived an hour away because she'd fallen out with the great grandson's mother. And so there is this, this love that wants to be demonstrated but cannot be because it's not a two-way street. And that's, that's, that's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling to love. So you, you see it in the church. You see people sometimes that are making choices, that are making decisions with their lives that are not beneficial, that are spiritually self-destructive and you want to care for them and you want to help them but they're not interested. And your desire to help that because it's like you can see what's about to happen. And you know that this is going to be perilous. It's going to be destructive. They're going to make decisions that will impact them more than they realize. And yet because they've set their mind, you're unable to impact that situation. And you think, if only they were willing to listen to me. You see, the Bible says that God is love. Everybody loves to quote that because it makes God sound harmless. But when we say God is love, we have to be careful that we don't define who He is by our understanding of love. Because when we talk about God being love, God is love according to His definition. He's not love according to society's definition. Society's definition of love is total and complete tolerance. When nobody does anything wrong, and we all just love each other. That's not love. Because if you genuinely love somebody, you will try to help them if they're going in a dangerous way. You'll risk being the one that offends them because you love them. And when you read the Word of God, nowhere do we see an image of God that just says, everybody have a nice day today. Don't worry about how you live because I love you. That's not the message of the Scripture. But when you understand the Scripture, this whole book is about love. The whole book from Genesis through to Revelation is a story of love. Now, it's not necessarily easy to see on every page and every chapter in isolation. But when you look at the whole story, it is the ultimate demonstration of love. Because from the very beginning, it was God's desire to love mankind. It was God's desire to demonstrate his love to mankind and to be in a relationship where that was returned where he would love them and they would love him and that's how it would be that's why he made us but we know that mankind broke God's heart went into sin went off the track fell into lying and cheating and murder and immorality and steal everything else that we can think about and broke the heart of the one that made them in the first place. And this book is really the story or the account. I don't like the word story because it sounds like it's fiction. It's not fiction. But this book is the record of God's intent 
of God's desire of how far he was willing to go to extend his love to us again. And for many of us, me included, again and again and again and again. And when I stumble and when I fall and when I let him down, he reaches out again. And when I mess up, he doesn't say that tip. He says, I still love you. Come on, get up. Let's keep going together. And we don't understand that because our love is conditional based upon the performance of others. And our love is flawed because we are flawed, loving other flawed people. That's why the only way that we can actually love one another the way God would have us to is through His love. That's why the Bible says that the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It's not shared abroad in our hearts by a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it takes the power of the Spirit of God for you and I to love one another. Because whether we like to acknowledge it all, all of us on more days than we think are hard to love. All of us. I know I am. I've said to my wife often, I don't know why you stayed, but I'm glad you did. We're, most of us are not always easy to love. But God, the Bible says. But God. Scripture says that, you know, for a righteous man, it's unlikely that people will die. For a good man, maybe they would die. But God, while we were yet sinners, commended, expressed, demonstrated his love for us. His love and our love are not the same thing. Ours is so far short of his, but he reaches for us. God's love is so powerful that even though he knows, you know, when we think about unrequited love, nobody suffers that more than God. When you think about love that is not returned, God deals with that more than any of us do because the majority of humanity turns away from him. The majority of humanity who he reaches for say, no, I don't believe in you. You're not real. Or no, I think I'm a good person. I'll get to heaven. I'll just be fine. Or whatever excuse or statement they may choose to make. God is there waiting with a hand extended and most people do not take his hand. Nobody experiences unrequited love like Jesus does. And yet he loves again. And he loves again. And he's faithful again and again. Bless the Lord. That's why in First John we read it. The scripture says that if we keep his word, in other words, we do what the Word of God says. We obey the Scripture. Not just the parts we like, but all of it. It says the person that does that, he's the one or she's the one in whom that God's love is perfected or it is complete. It is able to achieve what he wants it to do. His love is the same for you and I as it is for the person that claims to be an atheist. God loves you and I exactly the same as he does the most vile sinner that you can imagine. But his love in their life is restrained. It's hindered. It's bound up until, by faith, that person reaches a place where God reveals himself to them. And they're willing to take a chance on God and obey the word of God. And suddenly that love floods into an individual's life. And healing takes place and brokenness is made whole. And lives are turned around and families are put back together again. And above all else, souls are saved. And God's love is perfected. Because that's what it came to do. 
That's what it came to do. And he reaches again and again and again. And tonight, if you're in this place and you don't know what it is to respond to the love of God, he's reaching for you. Even though you may not be aware of it, his love is reaching out its hand and saying, give me a chance. Give me half a chance. I won't let you down. I won't fail you. I'm not going to drop you on the side of the road somewhere when you disappoint me. But I'm going to be there and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to clean you up and we're going to keep going on this thing together. Because his love is not like our love. Hallelujah. So often in our relationships, love is mixed with a, it shouldn't be this way in the kingdom of God, but in the world, love is mixed with a healthy, healthy dose of fear. Will that person stay? Will they be faithful to me? Are they always going to be here? If I don't do this, will they still be there tomorrow? If they don't call me, if they don't SMS me, if they don't whatever, fill in the blank, will they still be there? Again, that's because of the conditional nature of human love. But First John chapter 4 says that perfect love casts out fear. You read that passage, it's talking to us about how when we obey the Word of God and we have confidence in the Word of God, we can have, we can have an assurance and a boldness when He returns. Why? Because of who we are? No, no, but a confidence in His love for us. A confidence in the fact that he has stuck with us through thick and thin, through up and down, through in and out. He has stayed with us. And when we have that confidence in him, there should be no fear. You see, let's be honest tonight. When you and I read scriptures, like in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about coming boldly before his throne, I have a hard time with that concept. When I think about coming before the Lord, my mind's going through all the things that I'm not all the things that I haven't, all the things that I should have. And I'm kind of like, you know, I'm just tiptoeing in, hoping that I'm not going to be struck by lightning. But the Scripture says that because of His love for us, we can have boldness. That's hard for me to understand because I look at myself and I say, well, I should be this, but I'm not, and I should have done that, but I didn't. And I should do a better job of this, but I have. And everything I see is not reaching the mark. And so I don't feel particularly bold when I come into his presence. But that's because I'm thinking with human thinking. We have to get to a place where our confidence is in the Word of God, where perfect love casts out fear, where we can run into the arms of our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. His love is faithful. His love is still there when you let him down. Sister Debbie spoke beautifully about that this morning, how God is faithful. And when you read in the Old Testament, there's a prophet by the name of Hosea. It's, always, it's a story that's always messed with my head. But this prophet is told by the Lord, he's given instruction. Some people actually believe that it's actually an allegory that didn't actually happen because of how strong the story is. But Hosea is, the Lord speaks to Hosea and says, go and take a wife. Get yourself a young lady who used to be a prostitute. That's what the Bible says. And marry her. And have kids. And, and Hosea does what the Lord instructs him to do. And there are children. And then the patterns of Goma, that's his wife's name, the patterns of her previous life repeat again in unfaithfulness. And God is using the marriage of this prophet 
to demonstrate graphically his relationship with Israel. He's saying, I've been your husband. I've been committed unto you, and I've done everything that you needed me to do, but you've come in and out. And this man has, has had to almost role play the relationship between God and his people. But it's still, even though it's something that's hard for us to comprehend, it is still a story about reconciliation and redemption. It is still God looking for a way to make it right. Because his love is not our love. His love keeps reaching. You see, what, one of the things the devil does, and if you've been in church longer than about a week, you've experienced this. When you fail, when you have one of those days where you're kind of glad nobody from church was there, we've all had one of those days, amen? And you hope that that work colleague doesn't come to church this Sunday. Come on, let's be honest. We've had those days. When you have that kind of day, one of the first things the devil will do is begin to condemn and begin to tell you that you have failed God too many times because he's appealing to the way that we think. But God doesn't think the way that we think. The Old Testament declares that his ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And so we have to take our minds and our hearts off the way that we think and feel and transport them onto the Word of God, which says perfect love casts out fear. Bless the Lord. You know, even as saints, and Sister Nairi spoke about this a little this morning, which helped me to believe I was on the right track. There are times that God waits for us, whether it's our prayer time, whether it's our time in the Word, whether it's our time in God's house. There are times that God waits for us and we don't show up. You know, we say, well, I'm going to pray tomorrow. Sister Nairi spoke about that this morning. I'm, I'm going to pray. And the alarm clock rings and nothing happens. And when, when my wife and I were first married and I was working night shift in the bakery, we nearly got a divorce over a snooze button. We didn't really, but see, I had a habit of setting an alarm with enough time that I knew that the snooze button would last for another nine minutes, I think it was. And I set the alarm so that I had enough for a couple of snooze cycles, which means my wife didn't wake up once. She woke up multiple times. And uh, that was very hard for her to understand. See, my wife is one of those people that can wake up like that. I'm not. When I wake up, I come from a very deep, dark place. And it's a long journey out of the hole. And it takes me a while to climb out of the hole. You people that wake up like that, you're not normal. There's something wrong with you. But, you know, we, we laugh, but every one of us knows what it is to come to an altar and to make a fresh commitment to the Lord and say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read. You know, I'm going to be in church this week. I'm not going to miss Sunday night. I'm not going to miss midweek Bible study, whatever it is. And then we make that appointment and we don't show. Now, if you do that at the dentist, I send you a bill anyway. I'm glad God doesn't bill us when we don't show up for prayer. But how often do we leave God standing there wanting to meet with us? You know, the amazing thing about God is when we finally get our act together and we do show up, 
And what would we be like? <laughs> Here they are. Finally managed to come. Been waiting for days. Uh, we'd be giving them that look. We'd be tapping our foot, looking at our watch. Where have you been? But God is not like that. Even when we fail, we finally manage to get our carcass to a prayer date with God, and God's just there and He's waiting because His love is not our love. And I believe God wants to challenge some of us. And if you're visiting with us, God is speaking to you, but I believe He's speaking to some of us in the church as well that have been here for a while. This is not about, I got to do this just for di- discipline, is a part of it, but this is about love. Everything you do when you come to God's house, it needs to be about love. When you get up in the morning to pray, it needs to be about love. When you say, there are things that I won't do in my life anymore, it's because of love. Now, the pastor may have taught you that, but you don't do it because of him. You do it because you love God. That's what it's about. Because the last time I checked, this church was full of people that were sinners. Some of us had addictions. Some of us came from broken homes. Some of us didn't know part of our family. Some of us, we've all got a testimony. Every one of us didn't have a whole lot to offer God, but he offered us everything. And he still offers us everything. Just because you're saved, he doesn't dial it back and say, well, now that you're in the family, we're going to cut back to the economy plan. He still wants to give you the best of everything that he has. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. Bless the Lord. Sister Stenker, if I could have you on the piano, please. I shared this story when I was in Papua. I read it years ago. Now, when I was in Papua, I was convinced it was a true story, but a little bit of research has made me wonder if it actually was. But it's a good story nonetheless. It's a story about a man in, in one of the Pacific Islands. And it's one of those cultures where... There's when people get engaged, there's a bride price involved. And you guys that were on the team, you just have to pretend this is the first time you heard that story. But you know, in some cultures, when a young man wants to marry a young lady, there's a bride price or a dowry or some kind of exchange of property or finances. That's I think it's a wonderful idea. When my daughter gets married, not when my son does, <laughs> or unless he's going to take care of that himself. But in some, in some cultures, particularly in more agricultural places where cash is not necessarily their primary way of living, there's an exchange of livestock because they're very valuable. It might be pigs, it might be cows. And in this particular culture, I believe it was cows. And when a young man wanted to marry a young woman, I think the same thing happens in some African cultures, um, you would have to bring a number of cows for your bride depending on how many cows the young lady might be worth, which is a challenge right there in itself. But often these things were decided by social status. If she was from a wealthy family where the young man was going to benefit materially by marrying into the family or maybe she was the daughter of a chief or whatever. And so often there was this, somehow they came to some kind of agreement that this young lady was worth two cows or three cows, and and there was a young man that was in love with a young lady and wanted to marry her, and this young lady didn't come from a wealthy family, didn't come from leaders or, or, or village kings or chiefs or whatever, 
she wasn't the most beautiful young lady on the island. She was fairly plain, without being unkind. And she probably wasn't, you know, there, were, there probably weren't going to be a lot of cows in this transaction. But this young man paid, I thought it was six, but in my research I think he paid eight cows for this young lady. And uh, a lot of people thought he was mad. I thought, you've paid absolute top-shelf price for somebody who's, you know, coming into the economy section a little bit. But a friend who came for the wedding left, went back to his island, and sometime, possibly a year or two or more later, he came back. And he said, where's, where's your wife? How's the marriage going? He said, oh, everything's wonderful. We're really enjoying being married. And, and this young lady came out of their home, and the friend was absolutely gobsmacked at the transformation. This young lady carried herself with poise. She was stunningly attractive. And he said, is this the same young lady? You see, what had happened was the young man had caused her to think she was worth that many cows. And it had changed the way that she saw herself, which had had such an impact on her that even the way she appeared had been, she didn't go grow six inches taller or anything, but there was just something about that love that was demonstrated that changed the way she carried herself, that changed the way she presented herself, the way she did her hair and cared about her clothes. And what it did was it revealed something that was, it would seem there all along. And the Bible says, we, we, I quoted it before, I think it's in Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners... None of us were worth even a little pig, let alone a cow. While we were yet sinners, thieves, drunkards, fornicators, liars, cheats, and on and on. on. He died for us. He commended his love towards us. He paid the ultimate price. He emptied his wallet, as it were, for people that nobody would look twice at. And when you read the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and you also read the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about the Lamb's wife, the bride. And it talks in, in Ephesians, it talks about her being unspotted, no flaws, no blemishes. And when you get to the end of Revelation, the, the angel, I think it is, is speaking to John, says, come and I will show you the Lamb's wife. And it says, and she descends and she's just mind-blowingly beautiful and you and i are in that sinners cheats murderers thieves drunkards junkies fornicators all of us somehow are brought together by the love of god paid for with the ultimate price that he would present us to himself spotless without flaw the most beautiful thing. See, he's not having a second-class bride. When he presents the church to himself on that day, the world is going to see the glory that he's seen all along. And we will know where we came from, and he will know where we came from. But on that day, Christ, because of a sacrifice that he paid, because his love was such that the Spirit of God looked down on sinful humanity and cared so much 
that he, he was, because he was a Holy Spirit and we were sinful humanity, there was this standoff. But he revealed himself in flesh. Not six or eight cows, but a lamb without spot and without blemish. And paid a price for you and I. So it doesn't matter if this world thinks you're not worth a whole lot. There's coming a day by faith if we will hang on to the earnest of our inheritance. There's that down payment. God, I'm hanging on. You know, it's like an engagement ring. He said, here's my promise. I'm coming back. We hang on to that because when he comes back, we're going to be a part of something. And when, we, when, we, when we're able to try to take them, we're going to remember where we came from. We look across at one another. Maybe we can see the ones we went to church with. I don't know. And it's going to be amazing. That's the love of God. Let's stand together tonight.